Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. If you go to the doctor and the doctor prescribes you something, do you want something that is just pulled right off of the shelf and is ready to go? Or do you want something that is catered more specifically to your own needs? That is a question we're going to be answering in this episode with Jim Hernser. What's up, everyone? I'm Brian Carroll, and I'm here to help people move more, eat well, and be adventurous. And I'm sure that you would love for your own body and needs to be very simple and have something ready to go right away if you do go to the doctor. However, I'm pretty sure you would probably also want whatever protocol is given to you to be catered to you specifically as well. Now, as you know, the things that you may need might be different than someone who's 80 years old or someone that is in a completely different state of health than you. However, in a lot of cases, these prescriptions are given the exact same. So Jim Hernser is a pharmacist, and he has a compounding pharmacy, which goes one step beyond what a traditional pharmacist would do. They're taking these pharmaceuticals and they're compounding them together to create more unique and specific protocols specifically for your own needs. So Jim Hernser is recognized as one of the pioneers of modern pharmaceutical compounding. He is responsible for the formulation of many bioidentical hormone, dermatological, nutritional, and anti-aging compounds in wide use throughout the U.S., And he has worked in radio and TV, including multiple appearances on Dr. Phil as a hormone expert. We'll definitely be diving into the pros and cons of compounding pharmacies and why they should be recognized as a reliable source for treatment options for patients and why it is that there is so much pushback against it. So if you do enjoy these episodes and you do enjoy these content, please head on over to your podcast app and leave us a quick rating and review. Those ratings and reviews do help us to get out in front of more people and to help the show expand. So, And it usually only takes about 30 seconds to do. All right, let's dive into my conversation with Jim. Thank you, Jim, for coming onto the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. It's great to be here. Of course, and I'm really excited to chat with you because we'll be talking about compounding pharmacies and how to tailor medication based on the patient's needs specifically. But before we get into all that, let's learn a little bit more about you and what is your background. Okay. Well, I got out of pharmacy school in 1979, so I'm an old guy. <laughs> and uh, and not long after, in 1984, I actually opened this pharmacy and have been working in this pharmacy ever since. We're just a corner drugstore, Las Colinas Pharmacy. And uh, but we specialize in in integrative medicine, you know, um, and custom compounding therapies to satisfy that model of thinking, you know, because some patients, most patients enjoy some degree of natural medicine or integrative medicine in their idea of what is health, you know, so we we fill that niche. So what all goes into integrative medicine? Is that more than just uh, here's a couple medications for you? Exactly. When when we're in integrative medicine, we're thinking in terms of okay, root cause analysis. Instead, if I you told me you said, "Gosh, Jim, I've got high cholesterol," I wouldn't. My first thought as an integrative medicine practitioner would not be, "Hey, let's give you a statin drug and and band aid that cholesterol down, and you'd be on that medication for the rest of your life." 
Um, instead, I would say, you know, what's the root cause of your high cholesterol? And I would say, well, for most cases, that is insulin resistance. We can fix insulin resistance with a new eating style, and you're going to be healthier. You know, matter of fact, uh, by the way, Brian, did you know that if we get your testosterone right, it'll probably reduce your blood sugar by as much as 15 to 20%. And that's going to help with this uh, lowering cholesterol as well. So we start thinking about root cause. I mean, if I see an autoimmune disease, I'm going to say, what is going on in that person's body that caused them to have an autoimmune disease? And then I'm going to say, what can I do to fix that? Yep, totally makes sense. And that brings up a question that I would like to know more about. What is the relationship between a physician and the pharmacy? Um, because it sounds like you're kind of doing both. You're you're trying to work with the health needs of the person, but you're also a pharmacy. So is there a difference? Does the physician have final say in stuff? Does the pharmacist have final say, say in uh, what's prescribed? How does that work? Um, well, the physicians who choose to work with a compounding pharmacy um, – can either go two routes. One, they can say, gosh, Jim, you know, you know more about this than I do. What do you suggest as a treatment plan? And then also, can you suggest the best compounded medications to customize for this patient? On, on the other hand, there are other physicians who are highly advanced and they may say, you know what, Jim, I already know what I'm going to prescribe. I just want you to make the best possible quality compound for my patient. And, uh, and so either way, we take that charge very seriously. And, uh, and matter of fact, in, in our compounding pharmacy, you wouldn't believe how much it's changed, you know, from, from the old days when we kind of threw stuff together to now, I mean, if you're a top compounder, you have to use science, you have to use advanced knowledge in traditional integrative medicine in order to make the best decisions. You know, we, we use compounding expertise you know we you got to know like this base plus this chemical work and this chemical is a better quality chemical than that chemical you know we've got to use those kind of judgments we have to have the right equipment because i mean we have i don't know maybe seven or eight scales each one of those scales is five thousand dollars um because we measure precise amounts of of active ingredients we send them off for testing you know, to make sure that the, that that it actually is like if I if I say, hey, this is testosterone, um, 100 milligrams per milliliter transdermal cream. It really is 100 milligrams. It's not 90 milligrams. It's not 120 milligrams. It's 100 milligrams. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we also um, use we have tons of of uh, standard operating procedures that we follow. Um, all of our people are gowned and garbed, just like they're in a clean room. You know. And uh, you'd be surprised at the quality and uh, and everything that's going into each one of these compounds. Yeah, and let's dive into what exactly a compound is. So I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with, you know, you can go to um, a grocery store or pharmacy and get like Advil over the um, right off the shelf or anything like that. Sure. So compare compounding uh, pharmaceuticals to something that you can grab off the shelf. What's the difference? Yeah. Um, you know, for years I've been making uh, uh, something that's like Advil. It's called ketoprofen gel. And uh, sometimes whenever I play golf, um, you know, I'm an old guy. <laughs> um, my <laughs> low back kind of gets a little little stiff on me. So I'll, I'll, I'd uh, develop this this uh, transdermal um, cream that has a high dose of ketoprofen that I can put right on my low back. I can play a whole round and my back's not any problem at all. Um, but if I took uh, a bunch of Advil orally, it burns my stomach. And so I, I don't do well with that. And so I'm not going to take those and, and affect my entire body when really I only need it to work in one area, 
you know? So that's just an example of a custom compound. But compounding means baking from scratch. You know, we, we take active ingredients and inactive ingredients along with bases and, and all kinds of stuff and put them together and make compounds, whether it's capsules or creams or suppositories or eye drops, injectables. I mean, you can imagine we make, a, a, I have something like 20 or 30,000 formulas, you know, of stuff that we do here. Which is really neat because instead of being a traditional pharmacy, which is kind of like a, a pill distributor, you're actually getting your hands in there. You're making all sorts of different compounds and um, really figuring out what works well and uh, combines well with each other. I would say that would probably make your job a lot more fun, too. You bet. And, you know, I had a, a lady, she's a grandmother and she keeps her child, you know, as a two year old. And she was using topical hormones um, on her skin. And uh, she loved them, but um, when I told her, I said, now, you know, if you use those on your arms and you pick up your baby, that's going to transfer those hormones onto your baby. And she says, well, what can I do? And I said, I'm going to give you a cream that you can use instead of topically, we're going to put it on the labia. And uh, therefore, the hormones will go through the labia into the bloodstream. You'll get the, the good effects of your hormones without any exposure to your baby. So, so you get to continue being a grandma, you know? It's That's an awesome. example of us problem solving. Yep. Yeah. And having all these different solutions to be able to uh, still meet the needs of the patient and be able to customize the the protocol for that patient specifically, which I think that's kind of the main point of the compounding pharmacy, isn't it? To customize the experience for people. That's exactly right. And, and I think that if you ask patients, uh, patients these days are smart. You know, they, they're not just idiots that just say, um, oh, you just take care of me, doctor, and I'll just do whatever you say. They're thinking for themselves. And and most patients, uh, I think something like uh, almost 90% of patients trust a, a, a customized uh, treatment plan for them as opposed to a cookie cutter that this is one size fits all. You know, yeah. There's very few people who just say, you know what, I just trust what the drug companies and my doctor says, and that's I'm not going to even worry about it. Most people are thinking and thinking what is is optimal for me. Yep. Yep. And that's how it should be. Um, you should be getting stuff specifically and optimized for your own self. Um, now, one of the things you mentioned, you have like 20,000 plus uh, different compounds and formula formulas that you can use. Uh, it brings up a very good point about really understanding how every single ingredient interacts with each other. So um, we had talked about that physician pharmacist uh, connection and relationship before, and it's very difficult to know how something is going to react with something else unless you, you know, you spend all your time studying that information. So um, when you are creating these compounds, how is it that you're able to know if I change this a little bit, it's still going to be super effective or is it going to interact with the other ingredients that I might be compounding with? And that could potentially lead to, I don't know, maybe problems or something. That's a good question. And, uh, and we do have um, a lot of uh, databases we can consult. We have experts that we can consult. Uh, when you've been doing it as long as I have, you understand how to look up uh, science. Science means studies and, and maybe stability studies, potency studies, you know, to, to understand that, that uh, let's just say a drug company is making a certain strength of something. And uh, the doctor says, Jim, I want you to make twice that strength an eye drop just for a bad infection, because this infection, the, the weaker strength that's manufactured is not going to work for this patient's eye. 
And, uh, and we know for a fact that we can give it a certain, um, we, we have limitations on our practice, I should say, um, that say, okay, you can only give that a certain day's expiration date. Because we know that potency-wise, it's going to last for 14 days, but it's not going to last for two years. So, so we have to work with shorter potency dates, you know, beyond use dates is what we call them. And we have to use a, our best judgment in order to take care of the patients. Yeah, that makes that is, a lot of sense. It's a really good question, though, right? Yeah. And um, I think one of the, it sounds like one of the neat things about that, too, is, you know, a lot of people, they might have a lot of leftover medications. And I don't know what it's like in your area, but we have uh, disposals, uh, places where you can dispose of certain medications um, mm -hmm. that there's extras of. When you're compounding, are you, is it less likely to have a bunch of leftover medications out there? Um, we usually give what, what we think they're going to use. And, uh, and for instance, that's, and that's a good thing about compounding is we can give precisely the amount that we think they're going to need. And I give 90-day supplies, and we call patients up at 80 days and say, you should be ready for a refill. And it, it helps us to know if they're complying with their therapy. If they say, oh, my gosh, I've still got a bunch left. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but on the other hand, though, we would not give a 90 day supply if they were only supposed to use it for two weeks. You know, right. and and so, again, we're customized therapies. One size does not fit all for us. You know, so another good question. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to the different ingredients, are you receiving that in like a bulk powder form? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll tell you. Um, when you look at the very tip-top compounders versus some of the guys who are maybe getting started and just don't know as much, um, it makes a difference where you buy your chemicals and and uh, what quality you're buying them in. Because most of them have a designation that's called USP or NF, and, and basically it's a standardization. But um, I can give you an example. Um, had my, my wife, uh, she's one of my hormone patients. And uh, we had her on a, a hormone estrogen cream uh, for her estrogen replacement. And the, my supplier of the tip top quality chemical ran out. And so I bought it from another supplier. And her um, serum level of, of estrogen dropped from, from 50 down to not measurable. In spite of the fact I used the right chemical, um, I made the compound the right way, but the quality of the chemical made that big a difference. And because she, she told me, she said, Jim, I'm having hot flash. I said, couldn't be. I made it correctly. I checked the formula and I found out that we'd had to change suppliers uh, because the chemical was not available. Um, it was backordered. And unfortunately, it made a big difference in her therapy success. Interesting. Yeah, quality so I, control is important. I tell you, I could buy the cheap chemicals and save a lot of money. But to me, the most important thing is how is it working in my patient, not how much money I make. Yep, and that's how it should be. That's Ethics. true healthcare right there. Uh, what are some of the common medical conditions that you're discovering is very effective to use a compounding pharmaceuticals with? Yeah, we do a lot of bioidentical hormone therapy. Um, and bioidentical means um, biologically identical to what your body makes. And, and patients like that idea. They like saying, okay, these are not chemically changed, they're exactly the same hormones that your body, my body's made my whole life. We say, yes. And they said, I'm comfortable with that. And so we do a lot of customized hormone therapy for both women and men. Um, we do a lot of thyroid therapy for thyroid optimization. Um, we make uh, veterinary products for, for pets and for large animals like horses. Um, we, uh, we make 
um, all kinds of things for mood disorders, um, pain therapy, um, beauty products. Matter, matter of fact, I developed a whole beauty line for a very famous uh, person. You know, she wanted to, and she came to me and said, Jim, would you help me develop my beauty line? So we did, you know, because I know ingredients and I knew how to make that right work. And, uh, you know, one of the most stirring things I do Brian is we all love veterans, you know, um, and they've given a lot for this country. And, and so I work with a foundation called defenders of freedom. And, uh, and I treat, um, patients, um, veterans who have had traumatic brain injury, which leads to neuroinflammation in the brain, uh, PTSD, uh, severe anxiety disorder, depression, and suicide ideation. These guys cannot function in society, a lot of them. You know, when, when they've had this, this traumatic brain injury, you know, blast, you know, blown up and all that kind of stuff. So, But what we can do is, uh, is we can have a lot of compounded protocols that I came up with that make these guys better. And, uh, you know, it's amazing the success stories we're having. Matter of fact, the DOD, Department of Defense, uh, I'm, I've met with them in, no, in November. I met with them ag- again in March because they're so interested in this work. And the results we're getting with compounded medications to help these guys get better, that they want to help. They want, they want to, to facilitate a way for us to help even more veterans. I love that. Yeah, that is awesome. That's amazing work that you're doing down there. Um, so one of the questions that came to mind is everyone always seems to want, is it random control trials that people are saying is a gold standard for, mm-hmm. um, uh, studying anything which is very difficult to do because it, it's very easy to screw them up but if you're making all these different compounds on site it's very hard to do an rct on these specific formulas because you are tailoring it to specific individuals so what are your thoughts on that um matter of fact um, um you know i, I didn't even go I, I want to quickly just give you a couple other conditions we do a lot of autoimmune uh conditions and and uh, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, Lyme's, uh, multiple chemical sensitivities, inflammatory bowel diseases, severe asthma and allergies. I, I just want to give you a few more things that I get to treat every day. You know, there's so much yeah, fun. But anyway, lot. back to your randomized controlled trials. Um, matter of fact, I wrote a paper on this. <laughs> and, um, and randomized controlled trials are also called double-blind placebo trials, right? And uh, for those of uh, who, people who don't know studies or science, but... But bottom line is, is the people who do the trial are are biased. They want a certain outcome to happen. So even though it's randomized controlled trials, you know, they're biased and they manipulate the data and they manipulate the study to get the result they want. Whereas there's another, and that's called clinical utility. If you you prove with a randomized controlled trial that a drug is going to work for something, that's clinical utility. Well, there's also another definition of clinical utility, and that is if it's being used in a in a, a broad section of patients um, in, with successful clinical outcomes. And there are small little studies, you know, maybe not randomized controlled trials, but observational studies, trials, and all these little trials all say the same thing, that it works. Well, whenever you have both of those combined, that is actually the new definition for clinical utility. And so I don't know how you knew that, Brian, but, <laughs> but, uh, but that's pretty impressive that you were on that path. And, uh, and so I was, matter of fact, I, I uh, testified in front of uh, the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine on that topic uh, in conjunction with bioidentical hormone usage. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because I believe it's about one third of all 
uh, pharmaceuticals that are approved by the FDA are then pulled off of the shelves within four years of their approval. And hmm. a lot of that goes back to the trials and uh, the bias in the trials of certain companies want certain data to be in their favor, right? You know, and the, the, the biggest example of this ever, Brian, was, uh, you remember, well, you're, you're too young, <laughs> but in 2002, you weren't even born then, but, but in 2002, <laughs> there was a study released uh, called the Women's Health Initiative Studies, the largest study ever done on hormones for females. Largest study ever done. And uh, anyway, um, there was a biased researcher, and he released a bunch of bad data very early on in the study that said, women, if you're using hormones, because he hated hormones. He wanted women off hormones, and that was his personal bias. And he said, you will get invasive breast cancer, and you'll also get heart attack and stroke. And, you, and he he didn't have the data to support that, but he just hated him so bad, he released that to lay media instead of to like professional journal, okay? And uh, anyway, since then, um, women immediately dropped all of their hormones. I mean, you can imagine um, Primarin, which was the drug that was studying that pr pregnant mare's urine. It's a type of estrogen. It's it's actually pregnant mare's urine. They collect it and dry it and put it into a tablet. You know, number one drug in the world at the time, the number one drug in the world was dried horse's piss. Okay. <laughs> Excuse my language. <laughs> and and, uh, and it, their sales dropped from $2 billion a year to $800 million in one year, a 60% drop overnight. Well, you can imagine pharma was just pulling their hair out, big pharma, because they had the golden goose with this this pregnant mare's urine primarin drug. And uh, women are not taking their hormones. And if they do choose hormones, what are they choosing? They're choosing biologically identical hormones because it seems to them maybe to be safer. Well, mm -hmm. since that study, Brian, um, the researchers that were not the lead researcher, but the other researchers in that study have come out and said, you know what? That was wrong. Women are more protected on hormones. They're more protected from dementia and, and heart attack and stroke and breast cancer than if they were not taking hormones. So in other words, everything that was released early on that caused this hysteria about hormones was false. And uh, so... And, and I don't know how many women I know that still today, even though it's been proven false that women are more protected with hormones, um, they're more protected from, again, breast cancer, 20% uh, decreased risk, 50% uh, de decreased risk of heart attack and stroke. Um, and also, what about dementia and everything else? 78% decreased risk of dementia if they use bioidentical hormones. So, so all of this has come out, but women are still scared of hormones because of that bad guy who released some bad data. How do you prevent that? How do you create studies that don't release bad data? You know, I wish I could tell you that. <laughs> That's, <laughs> yeah. um, because as long as there's money involved and, and egos involved, um, there's always going to be that, that kind of those people out there. We always hope that they're ethical that they'll do the right thing because those researchers had, had egg on their face and they said, wait a second, that does not represent our opinion about hormones. And, and they had the courage to stand up and say, you know what, what was released was wrong. And we're sorry for that. Here's the right data. Mm. Yep. That took courage. Mm. Yep. Yeah. And isn't it, um, most studies, if, uh, 
if a company or whatever doesn't get the result that they want in their studies, they typically don't want to publish that study, even though that could help to benefit uh, future studies in being able to, okay, we know this information, this happened in this trial, even though that wasn't the result that that company was looking for. Um, we can then take that, create a better study, learn from that study, and then create even better studies from that. So it's almost like the bad the bad studies are being kind of shuffled under the desk, even though we should be looking at all the studies, good and bad, to be able to create better studies in the future. Yep, that's true. And every now and then you'll see a researcher who who will go in and, and find a bad study that got shelved. And uh, and then, you know, he's a big hero because he brought this up. And, of course, the drug then gets pulled off the market. And, you know, it's happened over and over, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I just uh, I like the idea of of using in, in my little world, you know, we, we have successful patient outcomes. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing them. Um, and the doctors are recognizing that every patient they put on this, these types of therapies, these these tater, custom tailored therapies are doing better. And uh, I mean, like I have I have therapies that, that have an 80, 90 percent success rate. And most drugs, I mean, like antidepressants have a 20 percent success rate. Yeah, we have an 80, 90 percent success rate. And uh, with most of our therapies. And so we don't, we, we're held to a very high standard, you can imagine. But yeah. when you're in this world, you better, you better show the results, you know? <laughs> Why is big pharma lobbying so hard against bioidentical hormones? Well, that study I told you about, um, they, they lost um, 60% of their sales overnight. That was why the pharmaceuticals have now been um, uh, bought out by other companies. But but uh, they were so angry about that, about losing all those sales, you know, their golden goose, um, that, that they started putting out misinformation about us. And doctors would call me up and say, hey, you know, the wife salesman was in and they were telling me stuff about you. And, uh, Jim, I know it's not true. And I said, you know what, they're, they're trying to um, – to maintain their own sales. And they think the best way to do that is to get rid of us. So they've lobbied. Matter of fact, Wyeth Pharmaceuticals went to the FDA and they said, we think that a certain form of estrogen called estriol represents a health risk to the women of America. Now, Wyeth Pharmaceuticals was being hurt by the fact that we could compound with estriol, but they didn't have a, a manufactured product in the United States that had estriol in it. So therefore, they went to the FDA and tried to get us uh, to stop compounding with estriol. You know what the interesting was thing was, O'Brien? That in Europe, they had two products that had estriol in it, and they were selling them like crazy. I guess European women were not being hurt by estriol, but American women were going to be hurt. It had to do with dollars. It had nothing to do with the health of women, but they were trying to get the FDA to do their dirty work for them. Now that is sad, isn't it? That's a, that's and we had we intercepted emails from them that said that that was their strategy. Interesting. So the FDA, they're not very big fans of uh, compounding pharmacies. I'm assuming. No, you know, matter of fact, the 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 last uh, head of the FDA, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, was speaking at a compounding conference um, uh, last year, and he said, "You know what?" He said. When I was at head of the FDA, we had an anti-compounding culture. You know, we hated compounders, and we we didn't even think about it. You know, all we knew is we we wanted uh, we didn't want them around. You know, and he said this anti-compounding culture um, was just something I, I stepped into when I took over FDA, and when I walked out, it was still in in effect. He said, now that I'm out, 
I'm, I'm looking, I'm touring compounding pharmacies, I'm touring facilities that supply you guys with chemicals. And he said, I am impressed with the quality that I'm seeing. And he said, I didn't know this stuff when I was in there. And, and he said, he said, I didn't want to know this stuff. He said, all I wanted to know is what I, is what, what I already knew. And he said, I'm, he said I'm, I'm kind of apologizing to you a little bit, although a couple of you have misbehaved, you know, in which there's bad actors in every, in every profession. Right, Brian? I mean, there's bad doctors, there's bad lawyers, there's bad CPAs, there's bad preachers, you know. I mean, we know that there's bad guys in every profession, and there have been some bad compounders. But that doesn't mean that, that the 99% of us that are the good guys should be punished. And, uh, right. But the FDA actually thinks that. And, and they, they, I'm not anti-FDA. They do a great job on, on manufactured drugs. It's just that when it comes to compounds, they've got a blind eye to us. And we've tried to reach out to them. We've tried to work with them. We've tried to say, let us show you what we do. And then maybe you realize that we have value and quality. Do you think that also goes back to uh, dollars? Because you're kind of mixing and matching different pharmaceuticals. So certain bigger pharmaceutical companies might not be making as much money because their products are being compounded with other stuff. Um, I think that there's... Yeah, I, I hate to think that a regulatory agency um, like the FDA um, is capable of of, uh, of doing things for money, you know. Um, so I, I, I hate to condemn them like that. You know, I, I do know that, that FDA wants to get bigger. You know, even though it's a regulatory agency, it's like a business. It wants to get bigger and have more power to regulate. You know, and, and that's just that's just natural tendency of humankind, you know. And so, yes, they want to get bigger and have more of their belt. And 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 they they actually said in an email that we took, we intercepted from them that that uh, a new restrictive uh, regulation that came out said this is another nail in the coffin of compounders. Um, so, yes, they are biased against us. And I'm sad about that because I really think that that we do a lot of good for a lot of patients. Matter of fact, on hormones, Brian, um, 55% of Americans who are on hormones are on compounded, custom-made hormones. 55%. That's over 8 million Americans are choosing custom-compounded medications. Their doctors are choosing custom-compounded medications. And, you know, and they have a choice, and they're choosing that. Well, that, that upsets the manufacturers. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's uh, if I was on hormones, I would want it to be custom tailored to my own needs, not Absolutely. someone else's needs. You know, when it, when you get to be you know twenty, then I'll I'll talk to you about it. Okay. <laughs> 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 no, but I, I mean I'm sixty six and I'm on hormones, and uh, and I honestly think that it it it's one of the things that I do that keeps me younger. I mean, you know that that I, I'm not afraid of of getting old and dying, but I don't want to hurry it along. This is a gift I was given and I want to take care of it as well as I can, you know? Yep. And so I do a lot of healthy things, but, but, you know, hormones are something that I'd readily admit I'm doing because at 66, my hormones were not what they were when I was 20, you know? So. Yep. They change as you age, mm -hmm. unfortunately. <laughs> well, um, what are some things that we can do to kind of get the FDA to open their eyes a little bit more? To yep. compounding pharmacies. 
One of the things is I'm a member of a group called um, the Alliance for Pharmacy Compounding, APC. And APC is our professional group, you know, and, and advocates for compounders and also for patients' rights and also for the physicians' rights to be able to choose compounds. So anyway, um, patients and doctors who might be listening if they'll go to the APC website or if they just go to um, compounding.com, www.compounding.com, and just tell their story. Just say, you know what? I was helped by this. We're using those stories right now to convince congressmen um, to to pay attention to us, to convince FDA to pay attention to us, and and not to ban this these needed critical therapies that we're able to produce. And uh, – you know, when you when you see every day the miracles that I see in my patients, um, you'd understand that, but they don't want to understand that. And so we so we're appealing both to the public, to Congress, and to FDA, and we're using patient stories and doctor stories in order to to get that message out. So if you go to compounding.com and tell your story, we will use that. And so please do it. If compounding has helped you or a family member, go to compounding.com, tell your story. Perfect. It's a simple ask. And if you have benefited from compounded pharmaceuticals, then definitely be an advocate for it and go to compounding.com to be able to share your story. So that can be used to keep this compounding pharmaceuticals going. Uh, well, Jim, I have one final question for you. And that is, what is your vision of what healthy looks like? And what are three things you do daily to reach that vision? You know, um, I thought about this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I like to see patients striving for optimal health and, and also quality of life, you know, because it's not good to just strive for one or the other. You want to do both healthy and quality of life, you know. And and so the thing I see most Americans shooting themselves in the foot with is their eating style. You know, people just eat horribly. It's called the sad American diet. The standard American diet is sad for a reason. And, uh, you know, we've got so many things pounding us about about what we need to eat, and most of them are bad. So I'll tell you, I, I use a kind of a, a, a clean protein. You know, I usually use free-range, you know, organic proteins. Uh, you know, I use um, um, low glycemic index vegetables. Um, I, I eat almost grain-free Grains are inflammatory to everybody in spite of the fact that I don't have stupid in my forehead. I love grains, but they're just not good for you, you know? Um, Cleveland Clinic did a study on grains. They were inflammatory to 100% of people who eat them. So it doesn't make any sense to eat grains whenever they're bad for you, except for the fact they just taste good, you know? So yep. so I, I eat differently than a lot of people. Um, I eat low inflammatory. But, but also, uh, you know, exercise is not optional. <laughs> One of my doctors told me that years ago. Said, "Jim, exercise is not optional," <laughs> and uh, and I also maintain balanced hormones and thyroid um, in myself, and uh, and I challenge my brain. Um, and you know, everybody does not understand that brain plasticity uh, is something you earn. You know, you, doing new things. If it's uncomfortable to your brain, do it. That, you know, that, that makes your brain do new neural pathways. And as much work as I do on brain for my soldiers with traumatic brain injury, um, it's so important to work on brain plasticity by doing new things. Learn a new language, you know, learn a, an instrument. I mean, learn a new sport. I mean, do stuff that your brain is not comfortable doing. Excellent. 
Well, Jim, people can find you at uh, com. You're also on Facebook, Twitter as well, and people can learn more about that in the show notes for this episode. Is there any final things you want to say? I just want to thank you for having me on and allowing me to to spout some of my opinions and and also uh, um, you know some advocacy things because I just want everybody to maintain choice. I want I want you to be able to choose what therapy you want. If it's traditional medicine or natural medicine, I want you to be able to choose that, and I want your doctor to be able to choose that. And so you know, help us out. You know, and so thank you for allowing me a little platform to talk about that. Of course, Jim, and it was fantastic having you on the show. Hey, thank you. I hope you were able to learn a little bit more about the pharmaceutical process and how pharmacies operate and especially how compounding pharmacies are changing the game. And I hope you also recognize that there are certain regulatory issues that are involved when it comes to compounding pharmacies. And hopefully the FDA and other organizations are able to take a look at these and see that it is a complementary option for helping patients and to not just shove it to the side. So if you want to learn more about Jim, then head on over to LasColinasPharmacy.com. If you want to learn more about compounding pharmacies, head on over to Compounding.com. And you can find more about Jim on Facebook, Twitter as well. All right, next week I have Dave Sherwin on the show. Let's go learn who he is and what we'll be talking about. I am here with Dave Sherwin. Hey, Dave, what is one unique thing about you that most people don't know? I almost never get asked about my family on podcasts because the nature of health, people want to hear about health, but I have six kids and six grandkids. And so uh, that's something that most people probably wouldn't know because I'm rarely, I, I rarely talk about it. And I'm trying to be healthier than all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't let any of them pass you in anything. In anything. I want my grandpa bod to be better than their 20-year-old bod. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Yeah. Well, what will we be learning about in our interview together? We'll be learning about uh, coming up with effective supplementation and nutrition and fitness strategies and ways to make it more fun and enjoyable and and uh, several tips. I think there's going to be quite a few nuggets uh, of of general uh, health that I think would help people uh, to to raise their their fitness or nutritional level. And what are your favorite nutrients or foods that you think everyone should get more of in their diet? Number one is we've got to increase the quality of our nutrition. And by getting five to nine servings of fruits and veggies every day, that's the number one way to do it. Unfortunately, we also know from the healthy biohackers of the last 10 years or so that even when you eat really healthy, there's some nutrients you're still going to be deficient in. And so come up with an effective supplementation strategy. And so I'd say start with food, make food the base, of course, but then also figure out the supplements that will fill in the deficiencies that aren't coming from our modern food anymore. And what are your top three health tips for anyone who wants to improve their overall wellness? Actually, my number one is a a non-physical thing, and it is meditation. Um, I think that a lot of people are struggling to reach goals because of of stress and difficulties in their lives. And having a stress management program like a daily practice of of just simple meditation, I'm not talking about becoming a a monk or anything like that, just getting like an app, you know, Headspace or Waking Up or Insight Time or any of them and just sitting for 10 to 20 minutes a day, I think it's a wonderful habit. And then uh, starting a reasonable health program, too many people are bouncing from named diet to named diet and never arriving at a real world thing that they can do for the rest of their lives. So 
finding a reasonable plan you can follow. Um, and another, and the last one is we are learning from these blue zones, the five areas of the world where people live exceptionally long, happy, healthy lives, that there's other non-physical things that are important for our health, like humor, uh, like being positive. And we live in a world of negativity, negative news, negative people, negative celebrities, negative politicians, you name it. And we have to combat that by turning them down and by turning up uh, positive people and positive influences and humor in our lives. So those are those are some things I think that are would make for a much better and more enriching life. I just love Dave's approach that you can be fit at any age and how to cater your workouts based upon your fitness level and your age group. So until next time, keep climbing to the peak of your health.